Well, good morning. Wow, that was so much better than the 8.30. Good job. All right. Well, it is good to be with you today, and as we come to a time where we open up God's Word, we profess, we proclaim that this is indeed God's Word, that 66 books of the Bible, 1,189 chapters are inspired from the very mouth of God, that this is His communication to us. We don't treat this like a normal book. This is not the best-selling book of all time. This is God's Word to us. And so we treat it as such. In fact, Charles Spurgeon said, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. And then he went on to say that a Bible that is falling apart is indicative of a life that is not. And so we study the scripture as part of our worship every Sunday here at First Presbyterian Church. Before we get going in the scripture, bow with me as we go before the Lord in prayer. God of very God. Everlasting to everlasting, no beginning and no end, we turn to you now. Many of us are going through storms of life, Lord. For some, it was a quick onset. For others, it was the consequence of our actions. 10,000 bad decisions led us to this place, and we are suffering, Father. So, Father, today, for those of us who are going through marital strife, for those with financial difficulty, For those with physical or mental illness, I pray that your word would transform them, that your word would transform us, that, Lord, we would draw nearer to you and be changed forevermore. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, Mark chapter 4 is where we are going to be. If you have your pew Bibles, that's page 1,558. Again, that's 1558 if you have your pew Bibles. Uh, but Mark chapter 4, and Mark is an interesting gospel. It's one of the synoptic gospels. Sin, synthesized, means together. Optic means seen, so seen together, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But Mark is a bit of a rushed gospel. It is 16 chapters. It has no birth narrative of Jesus. It has no stories of Jesus growing up or his childhood or anything like that. It's a rushed gospel. In fact, it opens up with John the Baptist baptizing Jesus and then we are proverbially off to the races. Um, It begins with his Galilean ministry, as all the Gospels do, and it really starts off with a bang. It starts quickly. And so I want to give you some context as to what's going on in Mark, but first I want to read our passage for the day. So it is Mark chapter 4, and we're going to pick up in verse 35. It says this, That day when evening came, he, Jesus, said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall or storm came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Amen. And we trust that God will bless the reading of his word. 
So again, in the book of Mark, Mark is a rushed gospel. It happens very quickly. And in chapter 2, there's an interesting passage going on where Jesus is healing and performing miracles, and some friends bring a paralytic man, a paralyzed man, paralyzed from the neck down to Jesus to heal. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has made you whole. So he heals this man who was paralyzed. Then in chapter 3, Jesus heals a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. Now, what's interesting about that is the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders were around and they saw this occur and they try to get Jesus in trouble. Now, Jesus has this very unique I'm God kind of advantage going on. And so he doesn't get in trouble for that. And so he got he got away clean. But then he calls his 12 disciples. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus switches to teaching in parables. He has the parable of the sower, the parable of the lamp on a stand, and a few other parables. And he has been teaching and preaching all day. Um, In fact, we learned that in verse 1 of chapter 4, Jesus gets in a boat and pushes off the shore so he can create kind of this natural amphitheater around him. And he is preaching and teaching for the duration of the day. Jesus is exhausted. He is tired. Jesus is 100% human, 100% God. We'll talk about that a little a little bit later, but he, he's tired. He's doing the work of ministry. And at this time in his ministry, Jesus is attracting major crowds. There are massive groups of people who are following Christ even as early as his Galilean ministry. In Mark, in Mark chapter 4, this is already occurring. People are pressing in close to hear him. He has made enemies of the religious leaders, and he has become very close with the poor, the lowly, the people who need healing. People are pressing in to hear Jesus. Crowds are gathering to hear Jesus. He teaches with authority and everybody loves a good teacher. And he's performing miracles. And people who have maladies, people who have sicknesses, people who are hurting, people who are broken are pressing in close to hear him. I mean, I can understand that if I was hurting, if I needed healing, I would want to be the first person in Jesus's line of people to heal as well. And so they were pressing in close. And then at the end of the day, um, we get this this um, passage of scripture. And it says this, that day, that same day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Now, Jesus is on the Lake of Galilee at this time, probably on the western side, but he's on the Lake of Galilee. The Lake of Galilee is the lowest freshwater body of water in the entire world. It is about 8 by 13 miles in size. It goes down to about 200 feet deep. It is an incredibly expansive body of water. It's surrounded by mountains, so much so that the winds rush in from the mountains and create gigantic storms between the hours of 3 and 7 in the afternoon. It was such a dangerous lake that fishermen fished only at night because they knew they were risking their lives to fish any earlier than that. This is the lake that Jesus and the disciples find themselves on. And during evening time, they push off from the shore and they start to go to the other side. Now, here's one thing. Here's an area where I want to stop because this is important. It says this. This is verse 36. Leaving the crowds behind. Jesus continually sets up a pattern in his life where he is with crowds. He is pouring out. He is giving to people. He's ministering. And then he pulls away from the crowds. There are times where Jesus leaves the crowds. Yes, there's work to be done. Yes, there's more need. Yes, there's more hurt. But Jesus understood that at times he had to pull away from the crowd. Here's my question to you. If the Son of God sets a pattern of pulling away from the crowds, 
should we not also do that in our own lives? You see, I think we as a congregation and as individuals suffer from FOMO, which is fear of missing out. We are so scared to turn our phones off because who knows what could happen in the 30 minutes of quietness between then and now. We don't want to miss pings and vibrations and notifications and email can't slip through the cracks without us feeling anxiety. There's a reason that people feel overworked and overburdened. Anxiety's on the rise. Depression's on the rise. The use of psychotropic drugs is on the rise. People are hurting and experiencing burnout. And the reality is it's because we neglect having pulled away from the crowds. Isaiah 30 verse 15 says your salvation will be found in quiet and rest. Your strength and trust will be found there. That when we pull away and get alone with God, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus makes a habit. In fact, the three things that marked his early ministry early on were that he teaches with authority, he performs miracles, and Jesus just goes missing a lot of the time. Because he would go to lonely places, he would get up early and go to lonely places and get alone with God. Are you getting alone with God? I'm not asking about your Bible study with all the other men. I'm not asking about your radiance group. All those things are good and holy and right, but are you getting alone with God? Jesus understood that sometimes you have to leave the crowd behind. That has nothing to do with the sermon. That's free today. You can keep that. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious, or some of your translations might say a great, and the word there in Greek is megas, which is where we get the word mega from. Um, A megas squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. What would occur on the Sea of Galilee was that winds would be so strong it would create five to ten foot waves that would crash on the shore and go about 200 meters in. They had to build buildings off away from the shore because the waves would crash down on them. This was an incredible storm. This was a storm that got at least seven of his disciples were fishermen, a storm that got fishermen panicked. Storms of life can happen fast, can't they? As the great theologian Don Henley once said in a New York minute, everything can change. And you and I are one text message or phone call away from our entire lives changing, aren't we? Storms of life can happen in the blink of an eye. I remember the summer of 2015 when we brought my infant daughter home. We brought her home from the hospital and everything was picturesque. It was your fairy tale book. It was, it was wonderful. We were having a great time. Three weeks later to the day that we brought her home, our first air conditioning unit went out. And so there went thousands of dollars in repair. Three months later to the day after that, our second air conditioning unit went out and there went more thousands of dollars, everything that we had worked so hard and everything that we had saved up. And then three weeks after that to the day, they say bad things happen in three. And it was quite literal in my case. The transmission on my truck went out. So there was three thousand more dollars. And I remember one day sitting at my dining room table, paying bills online and paying my credit card off and um, thinking, I just want things to go back to it. Why is this happening? What is going on? I thought, I thought me and God were close. I thought things were good. I thought, I thought, I'm a pastor. Come on. Storms of life can happen fast. In fact, Eric Mason from Epiphany Fellowship Church in Philadelphia says there's three types of people. There are those who are currently broken. There are those who just got through a season of brokenness. And there are those who need to watch their watch because brokenness is coming. 
And I'm not sure about you, but I know my life is a screaming testimony of brokenness. And the reality is that on every pew in this sanctuary, there is hurt and storm and trials. And the disciples found themselves in the midst of a storm. Storms are coming. The storms of life are coming. And see, the disciples here, they begin to panic because the disciples had bought into this idea that since they were close to Jesus, everything was going to be okay. You remember back in verse 35, Jesus decreed, let's go to the other side. He didn't say it was going to be easy. He just said, let's go to the other side. And in some of your lives, God is calling you to do something or God is saying, let's go to the other side or you should share your faith with that person or you should tithe and give this amount or you should do this. He didn't say it was going to be easy. He didn't say there weren't going to be trials. There weren't going to be storms. You see, we, we bought into this Western idea, and this is a product of the health, wealth and prosperity gospel, or we'll call it a false teaching, that as long as you love Jesus, everything's going to be okay. As long as you love Jesus, there's going to be no storms in your life. It's going to be clear sailing. And that's what the disciples thought. But boy, were they wrong. And sometimes that's what we think. But boy, we can be wrong. Jesus never promises life is going to be easy. But here's what he does promise. He promises that he'll be with us through the storms. Let's keep reading. Jesus was in the stern, that's the back of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? A few things here. This is the only time in scripture that mentions Jesus sleeping. I just find that to be interesting. We do believe Jesus slept every night, but this is the only time it explicitly states that Jesus was sleeping. Now, here's the thing. and I love this about the humanity of Jesus. Jesus was just like us in every way except sin. Creedally, um, in our tenets, we confess that Jesus was 100% God and simultaneously 100% man. He was the God-man. There has never been and will never be another like him. That he was God of very God and man of very man in every way but sin. That he was like us in every way but our fallenness. He was exhausted. He was tired. So much so that he was asleep. He was just getting a nap in. While the others were rowing, these boats at the time were about 27, 28 feet long. Uh, They had four to six rowers at a time. They could carry about 15 to 20 people. Jesus finds himself on one of these boats and he's sleeping in the back. And the disciples begin to panic. Don't you and I, when the storms of life hit, don't we begin to panic? And we, we begin to think, oh no, this is, this is terrible. How is God going to get us out of this thing? Or how am I, most of the time we default to, how am I going to get myself out of this thing? And we look at all the variables, the complex variables that are outside of our control, and we begin to increase our levels of anxiety, and things begin to go crazy, and we begin to spiral out of control. They begin to panic. Here's the interesting thing. I I find this so interesting. They had seen all that Jesus has done. They've seen the miracles. They've seen a paralyzed man get up and walk. They've seen a man with a withered hand be healed. They have heard him teach. He has shared with them the secrets of the kingdom. They know he's God. And they begin to panic. Surely, this is not how this story goes down. Surely, this is not how things end, right? And they're panicking. 
They're in the boat, scooping up water, trying to stay afloat. They're trying to do whatever, row back to shore. They're trying to save themselves. And in the end, how often do we panic when storms of life hit? We panic and make rash decisions. We panic and do silly things. We panic and we lean on our own understanding. And this is what we do when the storms of life hit. And so they wake Jesus up, which, by the way, I would hate to be the disciple who had to wake Jesus up. That is, that is not where I want to go. Um, I would, I'm a blame shifter. I don't know if anybody else does that. I blame other people. I would immediately say, Jesus, the guys were talking. They sent me up here. They think you should do this. Now, now we don't know what they want Jesus to do. We don't know their resolution to this. We don't know what's supposed to happen here. All we know is they wake him up and they ask this question. Don't you care if we drown? It's interesting. Could have asked anything. Hey, can you come help us? Hey, how should we navigate this thing? Hey, I know we're going to the other side, but this little storm has come up. What what should we do? That's not the question. The question they ask is, don't you care if we drown? People of God, today I'm here to tell you, and if you don't hear anything else, take this away. God cares. There is nothing in your life that is outside of the care of God. The hurt you are experiencing, he cares. As shallow or as deep as the wounds and the cuts on your body and your soul are, he cares. We have 66 books that are a testament to the fact that he cares. We have thousands of years of history as a testament to the fact that he cares. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 15 through 16 tell us that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens and is sit down at the right hand of God the Father and he can sympathize with our trials and temptations. Why? Because he's been through them. God cares. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are God's craftsmanship. That is the same Greek word for poetry, that we are God's artwork. In the Sermon on the Mount, we are told that God sees even when a sparrow falls from the sky, and then he turns to the crowd and says, are you not more important than the sparrows? God cares. There is no storm of your life that God is not with you in. In fact, the most promised thing in all of the scripture shows up 119 times is not that God loves you. It's not that things are going to be great. The most promised thing in the entire Bible is I will never leave you nor forsake you. You're never alone. There is not a time in your existence where God turns his back on you. You know why? Because he turned his back on his son. At the cross, when the sky went black, he turned his back on his son so that you might not be forsaken. Christ suffered and bled and died so that you might live. So that you might not experience the wrath of God and that you might not have God's back turned to you. You're never alone. 119 times, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He tells us that so many times because we quickly forget, don't we? In the midst of storms, we think it's just me. I just got to figure this thing out. I got to get out of this thing. I shared with you last time about my depression. And I felt all alone. And the reality is that God was with me and he's with you today. 
There is never a time where you're alone. So they wake Jesus up. He got up. This is verse 39. Rebuked the winds and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. There's that word megas again. It means great or mega. There was a mega calm. The only thing not calm were the disciples at this point. The same voice that had spoken the winds and the waves into creation beckoned them to be still and they listened. And here was the disciples' response. Then we'll circle back to Jesus. Verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. When confronted with the incredible power of Jesus Christ, the disciples were terrified. And I think they were terrified because they doubted. I think they were terrified because they didn't see an end in this situation. I think they were terrified because they had been so quick to forget the faithfulness of God. Let's circle back to Jesus' response to them. Verse 40, he, says to, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you so afraid? You've seen the healings. You've seen the miracles. You've heard the teachings. You've seen faithfulness in your life and others' lives. You've seen the building go up. You've seen God's faithfulness over and over and over. Why are we still so afraid? Why do we have no faith? In fact, Jesus' favorite nickname for his disciples was you of little faith. Because over and over and over they proved that their faith was lacking. Do you still have no faith? You see, some of us, we've been walking with the Lord for a long time. I've been walking with the Lord since I was 14 years old. And if I could be really honest, my faith isn't where it should be. And maybe that's just me. Maybe, maybe yours is great and you should be up here teaching. But my faith isn't where it should be. So I'm going to tell you a story, then we're going to wrap up. When I was, I can't remember how old I was. I was in my late teens and early 20s. But my family took a vacation to Hilton Head Island. My whole family, my parents, uh, my nephew, my sisters, everything. We went to Hilton Head and um, we had just had a great day on the beach. We were playing, we were flying kites. I was hitting everybody with pool noodles. It was awesome. We were having a good time. And I remember... At the end of the day, towards the end of the day, in the, in the afternoon, my nephew wanted to go to the kid pool. He's a toddler. And so I said, all right, I'll go to the baby pool with you. That's fine. So I got in the baby pool, and the sun was beating down on me, and it was hot. The water was oddly warm. And so we just sat in the, the kid pool. No one got that. Interesting. Um, and so we were sitting in the baby pool, and it was one of those days where it was just, I was exhausted. And so I leaned up against the ledge, and I kind of propped my arms up like that. And my nephew was playing with his little toy boat. And... um I fell asleep. And at some point along the way, I do not understand this decision-making process. But at some point along the way, my parents got my nephew, but they didn't wake me up. So I want you to think about what's happening. Um, grown man, alone in the kiddie pool. And I wake up. Um, I wake up a little while later. I have no idea how much time has passed. But I wake up and there's this little girl playing in the kiddie pool, but she is keeping her distance, rightfully so. I mean, it was weird. And the mom is just staring at me. And then I slowly realized everybody else is staring at me as well, everybody around. So I quickly got out and went back to my room and hid my face. But, but here's, here's the deal. It's okay for kids to be in the kiddie pool. It's not okay for adults to be in the kiddie pool. It's weird for adults to be in the kiddie pool. When talking to the church at Corinth, the Apostle Paul says, 
you should be on solid foods by now, but I'm still giving you spiritual milk. You see, some of our faith, we've been walking with the Lord for a while, but we're still in the spiritual kiddie pool. And it's not how it should be. It's because we've neglected our time with God. We've neglected community. We've neglected fellowship. We've neglected the, the tithing. We've neglected using our gifts and our talents. We've neglected the process of holiness, and we're not where we should be. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, do you still have no faith? And when storms hit our life, don't we do the same thing? We panic and we act as though we have no faith. And today, I know it's challenging, but I think Jesus is asking some of us, do you still have no faith? Are you still in the kiddie pool? And here's the call today. Get out of the kiddie pool. Get out of the kiddie pool. Some of you have been walking with the Lord and you should be further along by now. I know that's hard to hear. I know that's not a popular message. Some of us should be further along by now. So let's have faith in Christ because he will never leave nor forsake us. Let's pray. Father, this morning, if we're being honest, uh, our faith isn't where it should be. And we've walked with you for years, maybe decades. We've neglected you. We have not placed our faith in you. We've placed our faith in our ability to do things. We've placed our faith in our bank account balance. We've placed our faith in who we know. And instead of placing our faith in you. And so, Lord, I ask that today we would have faith in you. That we would turn to you in the midst of life's difficulties. Or maybe we're in a season where there are no difficulties. And that's fantastic. I ask that we turn to you anyway. That we press in to know you. That we press in to be transformed by you. Watch over us as we continue in worship. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.